I'm Marianne kolbisak begee Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Eric Decker, CISO of the University of Chicago Medicine. Eric is also industry lead and co-chair of the Department of Health and Human Services Cyber Task Group, an advisory panel that has drafted cybersecurity guidance material for the healthcare sector. So Eric, you were recently named Health Information Innovator of the Year by the Association for Executives in Healthcare Information Security. Congratulations on that. I understand that you were recognized for your work on the HHS Cybersecurity Task Force in the development of a four-part document that was introduced in 2018 of best practices to help the healthcare sector improve its cybersecurity posture. So, Eric, based on what you see these days, how would you assess cybersecurity in the healthcare sector? Where is the industry making the most progress and where is the biggest room for improvement? The industry has come a long way over the last five years. We are still the most attacked industry, and I would say we're probably still one of the weakest industries in being able to deflect and defend. I think a lot of that has actually stemmed from the interests of these attackers and these sophisticated attackers in being able to get into our types of environments through all the various vulnerabilities and such that we have. From a perspective of like why, why would they want to get in? We have a lot of the data that would be necessary to commit some sort of fraud on individuals. It can be monetized and be used for IRS tax fraud. It could be used for uh, any number of different things. And then on top of that, with the latest round of digital extortion attacks through ransomware types of activities, they've also figured out ways of monetizing just sort of what your digital operations mean to you. So the attacker base, the the sophistication levels of these attackers has really increased dramatically over the last several years. Now, the the good news is there's been a, a corresponding response from the industry side. A lot of that has come from the Healthcare Sector Coordinating Council and the joint partnership between the SEC and the Government Coordinating Council, which is where industry and government come together to try to solve for these hazards, cyber being one of those hazards of a critical industry, which is what healthcare certainly is. So there's been work done on the task groups on on that front. Certainly the 405D task group, which is the one that I lead in concert with HHS, you know, we, we released Hiccup Health Industry Cybersecurity Practices, which is intended to be a very practical guide for small, medium, and large size organizations to just sort of jump in to get to establishing certain cybersecurity practices that manage and mitigate the five prevailing threats that we face in, in the healthcare industry. So these, these attackers that are coming after us, you know, we've profiled that, and then we've also profiled out practices that will sig- help significantly deflect those issues. The SEC is also actively working on uh, many other different publications, and several of them have already come out. So there was an information sharing publication that was just released. There was the joint security plan or a medical device security for the medical device manufacturers that was released about a month after Hiccup was released. There's a new third-party supply chain risk management publication that was released, which will certainly help a lot with that particular risk that is prevailing across industry. And there's a workforce education and retention publication to help sort of the, the providers and, and industry folks on how to actually get this talent that's necessary to help deflect it. So there's been a lot of really great thinking out there and a lot of great practical guides that have been released, which will ultimately help raise up the industry. We still, of course, have, as an industry, we still have to grab onto these things and execute them and, and raise it up. 
So now, Eric, 2019 has shaped up to be an eventful year in terms of cybersecurity incidents in the healthcare sector, ranging from ransomware attacks that have disrupted care delivery at some organizations to new vulnerabilities potentially impacting the security and safety of medical devices. As you review the year, what are the top cybersecurity lessons that you think that the healthcare sector needs to apply in 2020? What we're seeing is a lot of the members of the healthcare environment getting hit by these new types of attacks. Ransomware is not new, but the impact and the ability for these these attackers to actually monetize and lock up the environments, that is new, sort of the, the methodologies that they use. So we're going to see a continued increase in that, and we're also going to see a continued increase in how they're getting into the environments. So most people think that this is just coming in through a phishing attack where somebody clicks on an email and maybe downloads a file and some malware gets put on your computer and then it spreads. That's actually probably not the way most of these wide-scale attacks that you're reading about in the news are, are happening. Certainly ransomware is dropped that way and it can happen that way, but those are more what I would call non-targeted types of attacks. We just need to understand and acknowledge that the organized crime groups that are out there have already profiled our institutions. They know who we are. They know who our leadership is. They know the next levels down of that leadership. And they have CRMs in place, you know, just like we do in the business world to understand sort of who the players are. And and that information is, is bought and sold on an exchange, on an underground exchange, so that there can be different methods that are used to, to attack the, the institutions. And what these attackers are going to do is they're going to leverage whatever the weaknesses are that are coming in. So one, one of the prevailing weaknesses that we're seeing, especially with the latest ransomware, but there was a, there was a ransomware attack that, that came out through the third parties where a lot of the third party providers that we use within healthcare, and this I believe hit one of the dental associations, they use the same third party providers and these third party providers have backdoors into the healthcare institutions. And so this ransomware got into the managed service provider and then spread in to the, the healthcare institutions. So we're gonna see more attacks like that. Again, not new, that's how target the target breach happened. But what's new is sort of the scale that they can do this these types of attacks on and, and the fact that we are all leveraging a lot of the same providers and those are all now points of entry and we really need to put a lot of focus and, and protection uh, on those doors, you know, ultimately. So when it comes down to it though, it sounds like a very scary, and it is, you know, a very scary type of situation to be in. However, the basics, the, the, the general hygiene that we need to be applying across our institution, that still applies. And the attackers are still going to go for the weakest link. And so if you can bring yourself up in capability of preventing these issues, detecting these issues, and responding to these issues in, in very quick order, you are going to be better off than the parties next to you who, who don't have those types of capabilities in place. So that's just something else to keep in mind is these attackers are, are successful because we're still weak on some of the just basic cyber hygiene that we should be applying. So, Eric, you mentioned third-party vendors, and as you acknowledge, we are seeing some large health data breaches this year involving vendors. For instance, a cyber attack 
on a debt collection agency impacted more than two dozen of its covered entity clients and more than 20 million of those clients' patients. When it comes to third-party vendors, what are some of the top best practices that you think can help assess and manage security risk? Are there certain things that you do at your organization to sort of vet the risk and manage that? Yeah, so the first thing I would recommend people do is pick up the supply chain risk management guide that the SEC just produced. It's, it's called the HICS-SCRIM from, from an acronym perspective. That guide really gets into the weeds about how to build up a third-party risk management program and what are some of the key elements that are in there. So, you know, just to kind of lift it off, you should absolutely be applying some third-party risk assessment methodologies to be able to look at these third-party organizations, understand what type of secure practices they have into place. You need to understand what type of data you're going to be putting into these systems and how important are these third-party suppliers to your operations. Are they a critical operations component? You know, based on that level of risk of, you know, if it's a high-risk vendor, inherently a high-risk vendor, then, you know, you should have a corresponding level of scrutiny and and control around how that vendor is actually applying its security around your systems or as an entry point into your environment. And you need to apply that pressure on an expectation and standard and requirement on them as appropriate. These suppliers, they get these questionnaires from every healthcare delivery organization and they, you know, they manage their risk accordingly. And I think as an industry, we need to raise that up. You know, we need to apply that pressure appropriately to make sure that they, as as a bottleneck or as a single point of failure between multiple institutions as the breach that you just referenced, they certainly were, that they understand and respect that. So there's the third-party risk side. There's also contracting. So as you conduct these third-party risk activities, you should make sure that you have standard terms and conditions in place for these suppliers that you're leveraging and make sure that those terms and conditions have not only some technical uh, components in there about the data that is either going into their environment or the components where they're connecting into your environment, and so there might be that back channel, make sure that you've got that lined up as far as like how that should be established and what type of controls are in place. But you also need to make sure that there's the appropriate liabilities that are truly accounted for within that contract. I mean, most contracting comes down to, at the end of the day, limits of liability and indemnification and who is actually going to be responsible and accountable and to what level and what degree. And so you want to make sure that you uh, are negotiating that properly and you're accounting for what are the types of scenarios where a breach could happen or an intrusion or a compromise could occur and how you're going to hold the third party apply accountable for that particular component of it. And again, so that ultimately helps. When, when you get this baked into contract, then the third party supplier is you know, required to go through and make sure that their security program is up to the requirements that you've, you've baked into that contract itself. So that'll help. That tag team is is important, and so for you to be to achieve that within your institution, you need to have a great partner in supply chain and a great partner in legal, and you want to make sure that your that your program, your third party risk program and, and security office, is actually tied in to all the contracting that's happening from either a technology acquisition perspective inside your institution. And you'd be surprised at how much technology there is. There's just most of these contracts these days come with some sort of technology component. Or there's some sort of data or data services component whereby perhaps you're buying people's time and analysis and support. And in order for them to do that, they either need to 
access your data or you need to provide them your data. And you might not think about it from that there's technology really involved, but the data component of that is, is absolutely critical. And so you want to make sure that if they have access or you're delivering data to these third parties, that they, again, have a corresponding security program in place to cover it. And Eric, in terms of your own organization, what are some of your top security priorities these days? What are some of your top projects and priorities looking into next year? We're not unique in the challenges that that the industry faces. So we continually apply continuous learning and maturity elements to our programs. So looking for those key opportunities to bolster up our uh, existing capability, a high focus on hygiene, a high focus on the discipline associated to that hygiene. So it's easy to implement a new cybersecurity capability. I put easy in quotes. These things are actually quite hard to do, but what's harder is to actually maintain them and, and keep them going over time. So don't lose focus on the capability that you're you're putting into place. It's It's fun to chase the new tech and the new modern thinking, but it can be quite easy to let it slide. So, you know, focus on that, focus on maturity. We think about risk in some, some specific ways, but I could boil it up, you know, ultimately into three major categories. And again, this is not unique to my institution. We think about risk around the data. We think about risk related to disruption of our institution, of our business systems and digital environment. And we think about it from a patient safety perspective. So, you know, it, cybersecurity, cyber safety is patient safety is, is sort of a tagline that something that we're actually using within the 405D group because we want to make sure that those two things actually do come hand in hand and they are together. And, and all three of those risks that I just described, I mean, they're all related to one another in, in some fashion. So we think about things like patient safety and immediately people go to medical devices, hacking a medical device and causing direct harm to a patient. Obviously, that is the scary scenario, something that nobody wants, and there is a heightened scrutiny around that. But you also can't lose sight of the fact that you can have a patient safety-related issue if your systems are unavailable to treat your patient and you have to send them off somewhere else. And maybe they miss a critical treatment or maybe they missed a diagnosis that was important for their wellness and pushed back a treatment by three, four, five, six months just because it's so hard to get seen and, and get care in, in this age that we're in. So that component, that sort of the disruption to the system can actually also lead to a patient safety-related issue is very important and, and probably more likely to occur than a case of a medical device itself being hacked and causing direct harm to a patient. And I think you could actually see that in some results. There was a study that was done on the, on the results of the WannaCry attack on the NHS in UK. And there was plenty of cases of disruption to the patients and their, their treatment schedules. And I believe there, were, there was something along the lines of like 180 plus patients who are acutely sick, required a regimented daily treatment plan, and they couldn't be treated during that time frame. And so you think about that, you know, if the patient has to come in and be seen daily, that means that you have an aggressive cancer that is working fast. And if you miss it, that's going to have a detrimental effect on you. And so those are the scenarios that I think we need to keep a laser-eyed focus on as we move into the future. And we think about how these attackers are going to start changing their profile, their attack profile. They will eventually, we will as an industry get much better at phishing and response, and the attackers are going to move on to it, focus their resources on a new venue. And I, I certainly think that that new venue is going to be third party because 
there's a lot of bang for the buck if they can get into those third parties and then start spreading through to the organizations that we all leverage. Thanks, Eric. I've been speaking to Eric Decker. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.